You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you uh, are willing and able, will you stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in the book of Proverbs today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back. Make sure you grab one on your way out today. We'd love to give you a, a Bible. That's our gift to you. But we'll put all the verses here on the screen so you can track along with us. I want to read Proverbs chapter 16, verses 21 to 24 to get us started. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. On Sunday mornings, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And we've entitled this study of Proverbs, The Art of Wise Living. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, was a man known for his unequaled wisdom. And he's been passing that wisdom along to us. And we've learned that wisdom is all about living. It's about building the type of life that is beautiful to God and beneficial to other people. And each week in this series, we've looked at a defining mark of the wise person. And we're in week four now, and today we're going to talk about the wise person and how he or she uses words carefully. Last week, we talked about relationships. We learned from Solomon what it means to have healthy relationships, and in particular, healthy relationships within the context of our families. Relationships are the stuff of life, aren't they? We all have them. We all need them. And relationships involve communication. Words. Today, Solomon will help us understand that our words are far more powerful than we realize. This subject is the most prevalent one in the book of Proverbs, our words. Solomon has more to say about our speech than he does our sexuality, our money, anything else. This really is one of the big ideas of the whole book. And to put it in Solomon's words, here's what he says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If we lack self-control when it comes to our speech, our words have destructive power. Our words will ruin our relationships in the same way that a small flame can consume an entire forest. But on the other hand, if we have careful and controlled speech, then those words will have the power of life. The power to strengthen relationships, to bring healing, and to bring health. So I want us to break down this big idea. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I want us to look at what Proverbs teaches us about harmful speech and then healthy, helpful speech. Let's begin with the harmful part. Go ahead and get that out of the way first. Now Proverbs will give us six examples of harmful speech, speech that has the power of death, the power of destruction. And the first one is deception. Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things that the Lord hates. That's strong. 
Seven that are an abomination to him. A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Of the six or seven things here that the Lord just absolutely despises, it's interesting, isn't it, that three of them have to do with our mouths. And two of them very clearly are deception in one form or another. Now, deception could be omission, could be not saying enough, could be exaggeration, saying a little too much, it could be a half-truth, it could be an intent to, to mislead someone, just a straight-up lie. Our children often lie when they think that telling the truth will get them in trouble, right? But as adults, why, why do we lie? Because we do. Why do we do it? Well, it's simple, really. It's because we're selfish. It's because we all have selfish and sinful hearts. We lie, usually for one of two reasons. Either to get something that we don't have, or to appear better than we are. Now, the first one is very easy to spot in ourselves. Here's an example. You call in sick at work when you're not really sick. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've done this. You call in sick when you're not really sick. Why? Because you don't have a vacation day, but you want a day off. Or you have the vacation day, but you don't want to use it. You lie to get something you don't have. That one's pretty easy to spot. Now, the other one is, is a bit more tricky. It's, it's more complicated. We sometimes lie to appear better than we are. Maybe this example will help us see this in ourselves. We have a, a prayer page here at Faith Church on Facebook. And many of us are on that page often. We take advantage of it, and oftentimes we leave comments. You know, someone will put up a prayer request, and we'll say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, or we'll use the little praying hands emoji. But I wonder, I wonder, how many of us at times have left a comment or used that emoji, but we haven't actually stopped to pray? And why would we do that? Even if it's unintentionally, why, why would we do that? Well, life is crazy busy, right? Sometimes we just get busy and we just forget to pray or we just fail to do the work of prayer. and We convince ourselves that I'm so busy, I'm really just too busy to pray. But we're never too busy to appear prayerful, are we? You see, we care what people think about us. We care how we appear. And so sometimes, even unintentionally, we might deceive out of this deep desire to appear a certain way. We must see this in ourselves. It's a sign of something even deeper, actually. It's a sign of the fact that we're not getting our true source of identity and value in Christ. We're not remembering who we are as a child of God, chosen, cherished, loved, forgiven. We're more concerned with what people think of us, how we appear to others. Sometimes this leads us to a place of deceit, and Proverbs warns us about that. Now here's a second one. What Proverbs will call perverse, perverse speech. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. Perverse speech in Proverbs is in a, a specific type of deception, really. It's the type of deception that twists the truth by calling something evil good. It's saying to the wicked, you are in the right. It's trying to rationalize, explain away either someone else's sin or our own. It's saying, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand the situation. You don't understand why I said what I said. No, no, you don't have the full details. If you did, then you would know why I did what I did. It's rationalizing, justifying. 
It's anything but confession and repentance. Owning our mistakes. Confessing them openly. Asking for forgiveness. Proverbs warns us about the danger of perverse speech. It will ruin our relationships. Here's a third one. Quarreling. Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Proverbs has much to say about quarrelsome or contentious speech. Contentious speech is always complaining, very combative, very disrespectful, always upset about something. And sadly, we see this even within the context of the church. All communities, not just the church, all communities have quarreling. Proverbs warns us about the danger of it. I remember years ago I was in a, a large meeting full of pastors and seminary professors. And it was interesting to hear everyone come to a point of agreement that all of the quarreling that exists in our churches, almost always the issues people complain about are not matters of substance, but matters of style. They're not matters of theology, biblical content. It's all about methodology. In fact, I remember one man was so bold as to say it this way. He said, in most of our churches, a guest preacher could show up on a Sunday and preach Buddhism or something completely anti-biblical, and no one would say a word. But if the pastor or the leaders rearrange the furniture or change the paint color, all hell breaks loose. Now listen. What does that say about our churches? What does it say about us? Oh, God, help us to crucify our personal preferences in the name of the gospel, in the name of impacting our communities and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we can be around quarreling and complaining people and just sort of be neutral. But Proverbs will warn us against that as well. Solomon will say, no, actually... If you're walking with your friends or sitting and having a meal and suddenly the conversation turns to contentious speech and you simply sit and do nothing, you're actually participating in the evil. In that moment, you have become another log on the fire unless you actively pour water on it. So the next time we find ourselves in a situation where contentious speech, the fire is breaking out all around us, actively pour water. That's what we're called to here. Put water on the fire. Avoid quarreling and contentious speech. Here's a fourth one. Slander. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 10, 18. Slander is a specific type of quarreling. It's sort of like quarreling ratcheted up, taken to the next level. Slander is going after someone, going after their character, attacking their reputation. You know, long ago, if you wanted to fight someone, you had to find them. You had to know where they lived. You had to go to their place. But now, with the internet and social media, we can ruin someone's reputation from afar. It might be someone we've never even met. And with just a few words, we can destroy, defame. Our words have power. Great power. And when we say something... We can't get those words back. Here's a fifth example of the type of speech we must avoid. Flattery. 
Proverbs 26, 28, a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, flattery, if you think of the quarrelsome person, the contentious person, as someone who is fiery and negative, the flattering person has a fake positivity about them. They're always saying nice things, kind things, but it's never authentic. It's never true. It's always a form of manipulation. It's always trying to get something from the other person. And Proverbs says this, too, will ruin your relationships. This type of charm, eventually, it will catch up to you, and it will ruin your relationships. Be authentic with your praise. And praise leads us to the last one. There's one other type of speech we must avoid. Bragging. Bragging. Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. If flattery is fake praise of another, bragging is praising ourselves. The prideful person is very quick to praise him or herself. The humble person is very quick to deflect praise. There's the difference. You see it? Deflect the praise and point instead to God, the giver of all good gifts, all good abilities. The humble person says, don't look to me. No, no. God is the one who gave me these gifts. God is the one who gave me this job. God is the one who gives all good things. So here they are. The six types of harmful words that we're called to avoid. The six types of words that have the power of death in our relationships. Be warned, but also be encouraged. Because according to Proverbs, our words have not just the power of death, but also the power of life if we will speak wisely. So now let's look at what wise, helpful words look like. Well, again, according to Proverbs, there are several characteristics. The first one is they are truthful. Wise, helpful words are always truthful. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus himself says that truth is liberating. Truth will set you free. In Proverbs, one of the ways you know who your true friends are is they're the ones who will tell you the truth, even when it stings a little. Honesty is a good thing, a healthy thing. Candor is a good thing, but contentious speech is not. So how do we know the difference? What's the difference between candor and contentious speech? Motive and delivery. That's what makes the difference. Motive and delivery. Ask yourself, these words that you're speaking, what's the motive behind them? Are you speaking from a sincere desire to help your brother and sister in Christ succeed? Or are you speaking simply because you want to be in the right? Because you want more people on your side? Because you want to show that all along you were the one who was right? Is there a ministry motive or a me motive? That's how you know. And the second part is delivery, motive and delivery. Ask yourself, am I speaking gently and directly to the person? Or am I speaking angrily and behind their back? That's contentious speech. We're called to be truthful with our words. Candor is good, but not contentious, not combative. So our words are truthful, but secondly, they're also thoughtful. It's interesting in Proverbs that as we talk about helpful words, the words of life, only the first characteristic 
characteristic has to do with the content of our words, what we say. All of the other characteristics are really more about how we say it. Not what we say, but how we say it. Wise words are thoughtful. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Truth is liberating, and that means that truth is beautiful. Truth is always beautiful, but with our deliveries, we sometimes can make it seem ugly. Don't make truth seem ugly. It's a beautiful thing, so always stop and ask yourself, what is the most beautiful way I could deliver this? If it must be said, what's the most beautiful way to say it? Be thoughtful with your words. Our words should always be as kind, as gracious, as patient as possible. Think, and think again, and think again before you speak. Our words should be thoughtful. Third, according to Proverbs, wise words, helpful words are few. Proverbs 29, 11. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole book. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man or woman quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We should not say everything we think. Some of us need to hear this. Proverbs consistently teaches us that fewer words are better. Fewer words are better. Why? Because the more you speak, the more opportunities there will be for a misstep, for harmful words. The more you speak, the less you will listen to others and therefore the less you will learn. The more you speak, the less people will listen to you. We've all been in a room with the person who just talks and talks and talks. And what do we do? We roll our eyes, we fidget, we do everything but listen, right? We just can't wait for the tirade to end. But maybe you've also been in a room with a person whose conciseness of speech is a work of art. He or she knows the subject matter so well that they can take just a few words, the right words, and they can bring light to the whole conversation for everyone. That's wisdom. Fewer words are better, according to Solomon. You remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the prideful soul? The prideful soul manifests itself in many ways. One of them is a quickness to speak. A quickness to say anything and everything that might be on our minds. People should not know everything we think. If you have no unarticulated opinions, chances are you're a prideful soul. People should know everything. That's why we have prayer. That's why we have a journal. Heck, it's why you have a dog. They are few. Fourth, helpful words are calm. They're calm. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We all struggle with anger at times. 
We have emotions. God gave us emotions. Emotions are not bad. What should we do then when we find ourselves feeling angry? We should speak to God. It's called prayer. We should take our angry feelings to Him and wrestle with them in His presence. We should be honest with God about the way we're feeling. We should speak to Him and allow Him to calm us and our words before we speak to anyone else. Remember that once you say it, you can't get it back. Solomon is saying that rash words are like razor blades, like a sword to the heart. You don't get those words back. That wound, it it might heal in time, but the scar remains. The scar remains. Fifth, and finally, helpful words are timely. You see, it's not just what we say or how we say it, but when we say it that matters. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. How good it is. It's not always the right moment for that message that we need to deliver. Sometimes a person is grieving or so angry they're just not yet ready to hear it. Sometimes we haven't developed enough relational equity with a person for them to receive the hard truth we need to deliver. And so we need to invest more time in the relationship first. Sometimes we're in a public setting And these words would be best expressed in private. It's not just what we say and how we say it, but when. When we say it. So here's Proverbs on our words. Our harmful words, what to be warned about, and what helpful words look like. They're truthful, they're thoughtful, they're few, they're calm, and they're timely. Proverbs is trying to teach us. Solomon so desperately is trying to convey our words are far more powerful than we realize. They have the power of death and they have the power of life. You see, our tongue, it tells us a great deal about ourselves. Did you realize this? I can think of only a couple of occasions where it's okay, where you can get away with sticking your tongue out at someone. One of them is when you go to the doctor. For whatever reason, the doctor often asks us to stick out our tongue, right? There's something about the tongue, about looking into the mouth, that tells that doctor what's going on deep down inside us. The Bible teaches us that the tongue reveals what is going on deep down in the heart. If we go to the New Testament for just a moment, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, From the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In that same chapter, he also says this, get this. He says that on the day of judgment, we will all be held accountable for every careless word we've spoken. So here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Harmful words flow from a sinful heart. And harmful words bring a wrathful response from God. Unless. Unless... There is one who bore the wrath of God for us. Unless there is one who paid the penalty for all of our careless words. 
who himself never uttered a careless word, who never deceived and never slandered, and even as he hung on the cross, physically and verbally attacked, did not retaliate. And the good news of the gospel is there is such a one, and his name is Jesus. And when we look to him, when we place our faith in him, we will find forgiveness. Forgiveness of all our sins, of all of our harmful words. And we not only find forgiveness, we find transformation. The gospel can transform our hearts. And that means it can transform our words. Think about the images that the Bible uses to describe the power of our speech. Our words have the power to pierce, to claw, to stab, to burn. It's very dragon-like imagery, isn't it? Which reminds me of a scene from one of Lewis's stories, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a boy, one of the main characters in the story, and his name is Eustace. You're not supposed to like Eustace. Nobody likes Eustace. But at one point in the story, Eustace is transformed into a dragon. And he's trying his best to get back to his normal form. And so he begins to claw away at the dragon's skin. But he finds that every time he removes a layer of the skin, there's another layer beneath it. And he claws and claws for a while, but finally he just gets so frustrated that he gives up. And that's when Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure of the story, appears. And he looks to the beastly boy and he says, Eustace, I must do it for you. At first, Eustace is afraid. He's timid. He doesn't know if he should trust this lion. But finally, at the point of despair, he just lays down, submits himself to the lion's claws. And then Aslan succeeds where Eustace had failed. The lion is the only one who can cut all the way to the heart, you see. Jesus is the only one who can cut all the way to the heart who can transform your heart and the words that flow from it. So what you must do is lay down before him. Submit yourself to the lion. Allow him to do for you what you simply cannot do for yourself. Then and only then will your heart change and the words that flow from it. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that you can transform hearts. And my prayer this morning is that we would look to you, to you alone. If there's anyone in this room today who has never placed their faith in you, Jesus, then I pray that right now you're working in their hearts. You're drawing them to yourself. You're convicting them of their sin, their rebellion. We are all sinful and in need of you, Jesus. And I pray that you will give them the ability right now to just lay down their life to submit to you. And as they look to you in faith, that you would transform them. Thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sin that we have in you and in you alone. Each and every one of us have spoken harmful words at times. At times we've been angry. At times we've been prideful. We're jealous. Just downright mean. We know we have. And we ask you to forgive us. Help us, Jesus, to become more like you, who never slandered another, never uttered a word of deception, 
was anything but prideful. You humbled yourself. You came to this earth. You laid down your life for us. Lord Jesus, help us to love and to live, to speak and to act like you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We celebrate you like we do every Sunday, every day. We celebrate the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.